Um, if you got your Bible, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Um, last summer, uh, myself and, and Pastor Vince and, and another couple of guys sat down um, and, and had a conversation about some, uh, some serious ideas. It's like, okay, let, let's start talking about the 2017 calendar. What are some things that, that maybe we can teach on? What are some things that, that you guys see? And so we had this conversation, and one of the things that came up in that conversation um, was a series on authority. And, and I had this note down when I went back and I started looking over the different series ideas uh, for the authority series. The note said this, and this, this meeting we had I think was in late July, early August. But the note said this, it said, we're going to be electing a new president in November, and a lot of people aren't going to be happy about whoever gets elected. Now, this was two and a half months, three and a half months before the election. We didn't know Donald Trump was going to be president when we put this down. We honestly, being just perfectly honest, I thought Hillary Clinton was going to be president uh, when, when I put that note down. Uh, but I knew no matter what, there was going to be people who were upset. Um, and, and I say that to say this. We're not going to talk about authority for two weeks because man, we're going to pump up President Trump. That's not where we're going. But I do think that, that, that we see in our culture right now some pushback against authority. There's a lot of people who don't love what's going on. I've, I've got my own concerns about a lot of things that are going on. Um, but the Bible has a lot of things to, that, that it teaches very clearly for us when it comes to our response to authority. And so we're going to take two weeks and, and look at this idea of authority. We're calling it under the covering because I, I do believe that authority is like an umbrella, that, that, that there's protection under that authority. To illustrate that for you real quickly, yesterday, uh, my, my son and I are out playing in the backyard, uh, and he loves to play in the backyard, and he hasn't been able to play in the backyard a whole lot lately because the weather hasn't been great, and so it was nice enough that we could go outside and, and have some fun yesterday, and so uh, it was about time to, to go inside and time for Judah to go take a nap, and so I'm like, all right, Judah, it's time to go inside, and so he does this thing, and it's really, really cute, but it's also annoying, where anytime you wanted to go somewhere, he runs the other way, uh, and he just dies laughing, right? Like, he thinks it's so funny, like, because now you got to chase him, and he loves to be chased. It's one of his favorite things is for you to have to chase him, and so thankfully, I'm still faster than him, but it's not going to be long before he's faster than me, um, and so I'm chasing him across the backyard, and he's laughing, and I'm ha laughing, and, and we're having a great time, and then he trips, uh, and, and he goes head first, of course, into the sidewalk, and, and, and his forehead hits the sidewalk, and I, man, when I picked him up, I thought there was going to be blood everywhere, like you could hear him crack against the sidewalk, and praise God that did not happen, um, all he's got is a, is a pretty nasty raspberry across his forehead, uh, looks like his dad backhanded him or something, uh, it didn't happen, I promise, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh, right, um, <laughs> so, uh, so, of course, I had to take a picture of it and send it to my wife and be like, you know, get home quickly. We need you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, and obviously it's a funny story and it's a cute story, and thank God he didn't get hurt worse. But he had stepped out from under the protection of his authority, right? He was being disobedient. And he's two years old and he's cute, and I wasn't even going to spank him for it or anything like that. But sometimes we do that, right? Like sometimes we hear that voice of authority and we go the other way because there's rebellion in our heart. And when we do it, we, we step out from under that umbrella of our authority. And so I want to talk to you about that a little bit this morning. Um, authority is a, a tricky topic for us as Americans because it is so deeply woven 
into the culture and the fabric of our DNA as Americans that, that we believe in independence and we believe in freedom, right? Like those are, those are Ameri- there's no more American word than independence and freedom, right? It's who we are. It's what we embrace. And I love the independence that we have and I love the freedom that we have. Um, but I think sometimes those ideas of, of independence and freedom cause us to push back against authority. They, they, they cause us to push back against the people that God has placed in our lives. Um, many times we think that authority is the enemy, that authority can't be trusted, that authority is evil. And God's word, as it, as it so often does, teaches us something different than our culture does. If you got your Bible at Romans 13, we're going to read just five verses this morning. Very, five very strong verses, five very powerful verses, five verses that you might not like today. And it's okay sometimes when we come to the Bible and we don't like what we read. Um, that, that's, a, that's a good indicator that there's something in us that God wants to work on. And so if you feel a little uncomfortable today as we read this, man, then you're in the right place. It's good for you and good for me to hear this. Because I'll just be honest, sometimes these verses don't make me very comfortable either. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. The best illustration of that part of this teaching is is when you're driving, right? Like if you're driving and you see a police officer. Now, I'm the guy... I've had enough tickets in my life that I flinch if I see a cop and I'm doing like 10 under the speed limit. Like I'm always going to kind of flinch a little bit. But if I'm going over the speed limit or I'm not wearing my seatbelt or something, if I'm doing something wrong, I'm a whole lot more concerned when I pass a police officer than when I'm not doing anything wrong, right? Why? Because authority doesn't hold any terror when we're doing right, but only when we're doing wrong. It says, do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment to the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment. So Paul, who's writing this, he says, I'm, I'm not just telling you this so you don't get in trouble. Like, they, yes, that's a part of it. But, but more importantly, he said, but also as a matter of conscience. In other words, this is a right or wrong issue, right? Like our conscience tells us what's right. He says this is a right or wrong issue. It is right for us to submit to authority. Now, I talked about this a a very little bit last week. I'm going to talk about it a little more today. Back in 2002, I read those five verses, and they broke me, messed me up. Probably as much, I'd say there's one other time where I can remember in my life where I was in Scripture, and the Bible smacked me across the face as hard as it did. In this instance, um, I had been chosen by my boss. I was an intern at a place called Church on the Move. I worked in the youth ministry called 180, and my, my internship was ending. It was coming to the very end of my first year. And I've been chosen by my boss to speak at a camp um, for, we called them head coaches. They were people who were outreach directors across different parts of Tulsa. 
Um, and I was so fired up. His name was Brother Randy. And Brother Randy said, hey, Joel, I, w- I want you to prepare a teaching for our head coach camp. And I was so excited. No intern had ever gotten to do this before. Um, I, I was like, man, what an honor. And I had all these ideas. Man, we can talk about how to connect with students and, and how to get on campuses. We can talk about how to, how to work with the principals. And we can talk about, I had all these different things, how to pray with the young person to accept Jesus. I had all these ideas. And then about two days later, we're talking about it. I was like, man, Brother Randy, I got all these ideas for my session. He's like, yeah, actually, um, I want you to teach on submission to authority. And I was ticked. I was so mad. I was like, what? Why do you want me to teach on some lame, boring, not exciting topic like submission to authority? I was like, if this is so important to you, why don't you teach it? I didn't say that, but that's what I thought. That's what I was thinking inside, right? I was like, man, there's, there's so many things that I could teach that would be so much more impactful for our head coaches than submission to authority. So what did I do? I got bitter, right? I got mad, and, uh, and I did, and I don't know, why is it that we do this? Because I know I'm not the only one. Anytime there's something you don't want to do, why do we put it off until the very last possible minute, right? So, so he tells me this. I think if I remember right, I had like three or four weeks before the camp. When, when we had this conversation, when he told me he wanted me to speak on submission to authority. So I had about three or four weeks to get this ready. At this point in my life, I've preached or taught like three times. I am not a veteran, okay? Like, I do not have this thing down. I, I'm not, like, in a position where I can just kind of fake my way through it. I need to put some work into this. But I'm mad, and I don't want to do it. So I put it off, and I put it off, and I put it off. I put it off so long, the camp was a Friday night and a Saturday, um, the, the, he had a session Friday night or a couple sessions Friday night. My session was the first one Saturday morning. So I go to the sessions Friday night, literally have nothing. I have no verse. I have no notes. I have no ideas for my session the next morning. This is 2002. We didn't have Wi-Fi. We were out in the middle of nowhere. I had no internet. So the only thing that I had is I had a Bible and I had my Strong's Concordance, which the the Strong's Concordance is a way where you can kind of look up different words and find where they're found in the Bible. And I had a notepad. So I went to my session or his session Friday night. Then after the session Friday night, a bunch of people were playing basketball. So I faithfully went and studied for my session and skipped basketball. No, I didn't. I went and played basketball until curfew, until lights out. And I finally get into my room about midnight. I'm supposed to teach in nine hours and sleep somewhere in there, and I got nothing. And I open my strongest concordance, and I look up the word authority, and it takes me to Romans chapter 13. And God kicked my butt. He kicked my butt. Why did he kick my butt? Because I didn't think I was a rebellious person. You can always compare it to somebody else on my team who was more disrespectful to the coach. Or somebody else in my class who was more disrespectful to the professor. Or somebody else I worked with who was more disrespectful to the boss, right? Like I always knew somebody else who was worse. And so I'm not a rebellious person, man. I'm just normal, right? I'm, I'm just doing my thing, like I'm a pretty good kid, I'm, I, I do mostly what I'm supposed to do, especially if people are looking, maybe if they're not looking, I might cheat a little bit, but, but I, I do it the right way most of the time, and so I had this picture of myself, and I had no clue the nasty rebellion that was hiding in my heart, and God, through the, through the five, chapter, five verses we just read in the book of Romans, ripped away that veil. That self-deception 
and I saw my rebellion towards my parents. I saw my rebellion towards the school that I'd gone to Bible college at. How, how I used to sit in class and critique everything my professors said and thought that I somehow hadn't figured out worse than they did. That I knew stuff that they didn't know. I saw my rebellion towards my pastor. How I sit there during his messages and make notes about, well, he didn't teach this verse correctly and he said this thing wrong. And, and how I had so much pride and arrogance. And I thought so many things I knew greater than the authority that God had placed in my life. And so I thought I was going to be teaching a group of people. And what really happened is God taught me, which, by the way, is the best thing about being a pastor, because you got to do this every week. And it means you got to open the word and you got to deal with stuff. And, and most of the time, I probably learn more from these things that I teach than you guys do. It's just the, one of the greatest benefits of the job that I've been blessed to have. And so so I, I go to work. Right. And, and as God deals with my rebellion and, and I repent and I get some things right with him, he, he starts to give me this message and, and I actually somehow, some way got 10 reasons why we should submit to authority. That was my message. 10 reasons we should submit to authority. It was about 35 minutes long. Um, I know it's 35 minutes long because it was recorded. It's the first time I ever spoke when I had a recording of it. I got a cassette tape. <laughs> 2002, baby! That's right. Got my cassette tape of my teaching with my name on the, on the label. Woo, it was awesome. Uh, and, and in all humility and in all honesty, man, I crushed it. It's one of, the, one of the best teachings I ever had. Not because of me, but because of what God was doing in me at the time. In fact, that teaching was so instrumental in my life, not only did it turn some things towards my attitudes towards authority, um, it was still the only recording I had of my teaching three years later when, when a man named Jason Delgado interviewed me to be his youth pastor and said, hey, do you have anything that I could listen to to hear you teach? I said, yeah, actually, I do. So I sent Pastor Jason Delgado a cassette tape from 2002, 10 reasons to submit to authority, and he hired me, and I'm here today at City Church. <laughs> that's, that's how this all happened. <laughs> Pam and Marie cheering. Thank you very much, ladies. I appreciate that. <laughs> Somebody's happy I'm here. Uh, so Romans 13, I'm going to read it again. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. We'll stop right there. Um, I want to zoom out from, from 21-year-old punk Troy Souden to, to the big picture of us, Right? Because we read this passage, and you may not be 21 years old, and you may not be rebellious, and you may not have spent two years in Bible school, and you may not be an intern, and you may not have a sermon to preach to a bunch of people who do an outreach on, on submission to authority. But I think all of us wrestle with this. I think all of us struggle with this. I think there's something in each of us that pushes back at this idea so I want to give you, first of all, just a few reasons why we don't like this idea of submission. The, the first one is, is the big one, right? We, we are all rebellious at heart. 
It's not just me. It's not just 21-year-olds. It's not just young people. It's not just millennials or whatever category you want to put people in, right? Like, all of us have a rebellious nature, a nature that says, my way is the best way. I'm going to do it my way. And, and the Bible teaches us this in many places. One example is Isaiah 53, 6. Puts it like this. It says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And then, thankfully, the gospel says, and then the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So my rebellion, my sin, was placed on Jesus' shoulders, and he died and paid the price for me. And, and because of that, I can be free from that sin and free from that rebellion, and I can stand in front of God and, and be welcomed into his kingdom one day and into his presence, and that's an amazing thing. But the principle there holds very true. It says that each of us, so whether you're the, the good kid who sits in the front of class and makes straight A's or you're the bad kid who sat in the back of class making paper airplanes and throwing spit walls, right? Like each of us has turned to our own way. Each of us has rebellion in our heart. All of us like sheep have gone astray. What is it about our own way? We want to be in charge, right? Why, why is it every week when, when somebody comes to Jesus here, we do this fresh start prayer and I would say probably 99% of the time when I lead somebody in a fresh start prayer, this one phrase is going to pop up there. Jesus, I give you the throne of my heart. Why? Because I'm on the throne of my heart. It's my way. And, and coming to Christ is the recognition that my way doesn't work. My way is not good enough. My way does not get me where I think it will get me. It does not accomplish the things that I want it to accomplish. My way has failed. And so, Jesus, I'll take yours. You can come in and you can be in control. But there's that rebellion in the heart of all of us. One of the reasons why I think we don't like this idea of submission. Um, another reason, the second reason I'll give you today is because we've all seen authority abused, right? We, we've all seen authority that's messed up. We've all seen the abusive husband or father who needs to be in jail, right? Who, who has no right to tell anybody what to do. We've all seen the, the corrupt police officer, right? We've all seen the government official who's, who's taking money. Like, we've all seen authority be abused, and that cuts to our sense of justice, right? And I believe that sense of justice is God-given. I believe God's placed that inside of us. Well, God is fully just, and so when, when we see injustice, there's something in us that, that leaps up and says, no, this is wrong. So part of the reason why we struggle with authority is there's rebellion in us and there's junk in us. But part of the reason why we struggle with authority is because authority that we see is all human authority. Therefore, it is flawed authority. Therefore, it is not fully just authority. And in its flawedness, in its humanness, in its abusiveness, we say, no, that's not right. And so because we've seen authority get abused, we, we want to do this, right? We just want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We, we want to determine, okay, well, maybe some authority is worthy of honor and respect and submission and some authority is not, and I'll be the judge of that. And I'll be the judge of what moments why, when I'll submit and what moments when I won't. The problem is the Bible doesn't give us that room. It doesn't give us that leeway. It doesn't give us that decision. It just says, hey. All this authority has been given to you by God, and that seems really uncomfortable for us. So 
how do we reconcile these things? How do, how do we figure out how to respond to this? Well, I think that there's one clue in the text, and it's actually in, in the context of the text. And so anytime you study the Bible, and you want to find out what it's really trying to teach, you've got to be aware of the context. And so the context, there's the, the immediate context, right? So if I take, I can't just take a verse and be like, I like what this verse says, and this is the truth. Because I, I, I can lift a verse, and it might be Satan speaking, right? And, and be like, man, I'm going to stand on this and believe this, and this is my life verse. I'm not gonna, i got to know the context. i got to find out what's going on. And so i got to read a little bit before the verse and a little bit after the verse to understand what's really going on here. These aren't just words that were randomly put on a page. It's, it's a continuous story. And so how does this verse fit in the, in the ultimate story of what God is doing on earth? But then there's also what we call the historical context, because these words weren't just written in a book. They were written in a specific place, in a specific era, in a specific culture, in a specific part of history. And so when you understand the historical context of Romans chapter 13, it actually makes it more uncomfortable. It makes it worse for us, because what we want to think is, oh, well, man, this must have been written in a time when authority was pure and just and right, and, man, it had it together. But that's not the case at all. So, so let me take you just a little bit into the context here to help you understand. Um, the book of Romans was written to who? It was written to Romans, right? Not a trick question, just seeing if you're with me. Written to a, the, the Christians in the city of Rome. It was written by a man named Paul who's an apostle, um, an incredible missionary. It was written, but most Bible scholars think, in the winter of 56 or 57 A.D. So in other words, it was like, November, December of 56, or January, February of 57. They've kind of narrowed it down to about three, four months when it was written. They believe it was written on Paul's third missionary journey while he was in Corinth. And there's a lot of textual clues that, that lead them to believe this. Um, so in 56, 57 AD, uh, there had been a change in the Roman Empire about two years before this. In 54 AD, uh, the Roman Emperor Claudius died, and he was succeeded to the throne by a man named Nero. Now, you've probably heard of Nero, even whether you really know anything about him or not. That's kind of, a, kind of a famous name in history. So Nero ascends to the throne in 54 A.D. In 64 A.D., so ten years after that, about seven years after this was written, the city of Rome burned down. Um, it burned for seven days, uh, and it destroyed homes and palaces and the circus and, and all kinds of, of great things in Rome. Most Scholars believe that Nero himself actually set it on fire. Nero was a jacked up, messed up dude. Um, but once he started getting pushed back from the people in town and people started accusing him, he had to find a scapegoat. And so he placed, he, he found his scapegoat. He decided, you know what, we're going to blame the arson in the city of Rome on Christians. Right? Who, who were the Christians? What well, was this group of people who had showed up in Rome? They'd been there for maybe 20, 25 years at this point in time. Who, who all of a sudden, they, they did things different. They worshiped different. Now, Rome was a polytheistic culture. You didn't have to worship this god or that god. Man, they, they were fine. You can worship all of them, except they weren't fine with monotheism because monotheism said your god is wrong. And so Christianity was, was different. Yeah, they said, you know what, there's one god. His name is Jesus. He died for our sins. They didn't like that. And so they were kind of seen as just a group of weirdos, and kind of this fringe group. The problem was they kept growing really, really fast. For some reason, this group of crazy people who thought they saw somebody come back from the dead just started reproducing. All of a sudden, they met this guy, and that you know what? There's something about you. I want you have. And, and they started to grow rapidly. And so 
there was already some, kind of some pushback. The Romans didn't like the Christians, and so this was a convenient scapegoat. We're going to blame it on them, and everybody's going to get behind me, and Rome's going to rally around Nero, and that's what we'll do. And so they started the initial persecution of the, Jew, of the Jews, of the Christians in Rome. Um, and I, I want to read you this so I don't get, get it wrong. Make sure I, yeah, the Roman historian Tacitus, uh, who was actually alive at this point in time, he wrote about 40 years later. He was a, he was a young boy at this point in time, but he recorded the events of Nero's reign. He, he recorded this. He said that the persecution against the Christians basically slaughtered thousands. We don't know how many. Some say at least 7,000. Some say actually significantly more. But, but many Christians were put to death simply for, for following Jesus. And they were put to death in a variety of ways, but Tacitus records three of them for us. The, the first one that he records is they were put to death by crucifixion, which we probably all know what that is. Um, that we're, we're familiar with that concept, so we won't go in depth on that. The second one was they were, they were sewed up and, and tied up in animal hides. So they would take uh, an animal that had been killed, that it was fresh, so it, it still smelled like an animal, and they would put the, this hide over them, and then they'd throw them to, to wild dogs. And the dogs would think they were eating an animal, and they were actually eating human. Uh, and so that was the way that they would be put to death. The third one that Tacitus, again, this is a Roman, not a Christian, uh, this, this is not some like trying to, to create sympathy for the Christians. This is just historical fact. Third thing that Tacitus wrote down that was done is that Nero would throw parties in his garden at night. And he would take Christians who, who were going to be, who had basically been convicted of being Christians. They were offered the chance to recant. They didn't recant. Okay, you're going to die. So he would take them and he put them in shirts made of wax. And then they'd mount them on a pole and light them on fire, and the Christians would create the light for the garden party in Nero's backyard. Messed up. Vile. Reprehensible. Demonic. Like every worst word you can come to think of, that's who Nero was. That's the guy who was the emperor who was in charge in the city Paul was writing this letter to. And yet God still had him say, we each should submit to the governing authorities. It doesn't even make sense. It's uncomfortable. How could we possibly need to submit to that authority? Now, now, side note, let's make sure that we make this clear. They didn't submit to the point of recanting their faith, right? Like it was illegal to be a Christian. Well, they're not going to submit to that level. The, The submission was not... Basically, submission works through tiers of authority. So you honor the highest authority first. And so when authority causes you to dishonor the highest authority, you can't honor that, right? So I, so I had a student one time as a youth pastor whose parents made him smoke weed with them, uh, which is illegal, which is wrong. Uh, and so I said, look, man, you're supposed to honor your parents and submit to your parents, but I think you're within your right, man, to, to tell mom and dad, no, I can't do this. Um, man, just a total side note. It's amazing how many messed up parents there are out there. You start working with teenagers, it will break your heart. Some of the stuff parents this day and age put their kids through. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. If, if you're a parent, man, you've got an amazing opportunity, and, and we're blessed with some incredible parents here. Um, love your kids. Do, do it right. Um, but so, so he wasn't telling them to submit to everything Nero said, but he was saying you're going to honor this authority in your life. You're going to respect him, and, and when it doesn't involve him telling you to do something that violates the word of God, you're going to honor that. 
you're going to submit to that. Why? Why on earth would the Holy Spirit have the Apostle Paul tell the Christians in Rome to submit to this authority? It doesn't make sense. Well, there's a few things I think that we can infer from this. Here's why I think God would have him do that. We, We can call this five principles of authority. The first one is this, is is submission is about me. It's not about who I'm submitting to. Um, It's about my heart. It's about my attitude. So whether that police officer is just or unjust, whether I was really going 12 miles over the speed limit or not, right, like it's about my attitude. It's about my heart. It's not about the individual who's in authority. And so he could tell them to submit to Nero, not because Nero was good, Nero is going to have his moment with God, I promise. But, but because he was worried about their hearts. What's in your heart? If, if, if we foster rebellion towards the authorities in our life, ultimately that's going to flame up to rebellion towards God. So he says it's about you. It's about me. It's about my heart. So he was dealing with the, the Christian's heart. He, he wasn't trying to rally up support for Nero. The second principle is, is that... All earthly authority is delegated authority. Um, Nero was not at the top of the authority food chain. He thought he was. He, had the, he was the emperor of the greatest empire on earth. Thought he was the most important person in the world. But he wasn't, as he discovered after he passed away. There was actually an authority higher than him who had delegated that authority to him, who had given him that opportunity. Um, Jimmy is our worship leader, right? What, what, is, what is his authority? He's got delegated authority to lead worship here. If Jimmy got up here next week, and he would never do this, but if he got up here next week and we're singing, man, Satan is awesome, hail Satan, right? Like if, if we're going like 80s heavy metal, um, death metal something, um, he's probably not going to be our worship leader for much longer, right? Uh, that that, that authority is not going to be delegated. The, the reason why this is hard for us to understand is God doesn't work as quickly as we do. God has this thing called patience that we don't have, right? And and so God is patient, and he allows horrible, awful, abusive leadership to stay in control for a season. And we're like, why why don't you just yank them out, God? Why don't you take them out? Why would you do this? But that's not the way he operates. God is patient. He gives time. And so that brings us to, to number three. Those in authority will answer to God for how they handle their authority. I will answer to God for how I submit to authority. Insert whatever abusive authority you can think of, the, the coach who molests a, a player, the priest who molested a kid, the pastor who stole money, like whatever abusive authority has, has hurt you. Understand this. They will stand before God one day. They will. That abusive authority is going to answer not just for the way they lived their life, but for the way they yielded their authority. He said all authority has been given, has been instituted by God. What that means is not that God approves of everybody in every way that they use their authority. What it means is he put them in place and they got to answer to him for it. So authority is going to answer one day. Maybe not as quickly as I want them to. Maybe not as as quickly as as it would seem to be fair or right, but they are going to answer one day. God has a reason for his patience. He has a reason for his endurance. They're going to answer 
Nero, I promise you, stood before God and had his whole life turned upside down when he had to answer for the way that he treated God's people. There was a season where he got to do some really awful things. He got to abuse his opportunity of leadership. But that season did not last forever. And he stood before God. I will answer to God for the way I submit to authority. Side note, any places, any regions, any areas where God has given me authority, I'll answer to God for the way that I exercise that authority. That should be a little bit of a scary thing for those of us who are parents, for those of us who are bosses, for those of us who are in leadership and ministry, for those of us who are husbands. Like if there's authority that's been given to you, that authority's not been given to you because you're great and because God loves you more than somebody else. He's just saying, hey, I'm, I've got to have somebody who's going to answer to me for the way this is done. So as a pastor, I'm going to answer to God one day for the way the church is run. I know that. I'm aware of that. I'm not like living in fear and, and trembling about it, but I know, man, when we make a financial decision, I'm going to answer to God for, for what we did with this money. When we make a decision about leadership, who are we going to put in leadership in this area? I'm going to answer to God for that decision. I know this. I, I know that day is coming, um, and it affects the way I make decisions, I promise, because I want him to be proud. I want him to look at me and say, well done. I want him to 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 be thrilled with the way that I made those decisions. So authority will answer to God for the way they use their authority. Those of us, and every one of us is under authority in some aspect of life. We're going to answer to God for how do we submit to the authority he gave us. Students, you're going to answer to God for how you respected your principal, your teachers, your parents. I don't look forward to that day because I, did, I didn't get this until I was 21. So I had a long track record of disrespect in, in a lot of those areas. Hopefully you can get a hold of this a little bit sooner than I did. We're all going to answer to God one day for the way we honor authority. Number four, fourth principle of authority. Honoring authority is ultimately honoring God. Honoring authority is ultimately honoring God. Romans 13, 2, put it this way, it says, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. I think the opposite is also true. Right? So if rebelling against authority means I'm rebelling against God, submitting and honoring authority means I'm really submitting to and honoring God. And that's a cool thing. That's a great thing that I think we can grab a hold of and say, you know what? I don't have to agree with every decision that authority makes. I don't have to agree with, with every decision. I don't have to agree with the, the law that I'm supposed to wear my seatbelt. I can still just wear my seatbelt, right? Like I'm, the libertarian in me is like, no, this should not be the law. We should be able to make this decision for ourselves. doesn't matter what my opinion is. What's the law? Law is wear your seatbelt, idiot, right? Like that's talking to myself, right? So, so I need to wear my seatbelt regardless of whether I approve of or think this is the right way that the government should be run, like, God doesn't care about my opinion. He cares about my actions, right? Like, my opinion doesn't mean anything. I'm going I'm to answer for how did I honor that authority. So ultimately, honoring authority is honoring God. And, and then lastly, if you'll put that last point up for us, Wendell, um, number five, the Christians in Rome did this the right way. They submitted to the authority, and in so doing so, they caused the gospel to spread 
if, if you study the, the church history, it's amazing. So this happens, this persecution starts in AD 64. It's a little bit over 200 years from that point to the point where a, a man named Constantine, who was the emperor of Rome, things had come so far in Rome that Constantine actually converted to Christianity for political reasons. In other words, there were more Christians in his kingdom than people who weren't Christians. And in order to, to have success as emperor, he said, you know what, I'm going to have to convert to this thing too. So he did it, and then he just decided everybody's going to convert, and he made it the law that you got to become a Christian. And that was the point where basically everything got messed up. Because then it wasn't about the heart anymore. It was now we're, we're going to be Christians because that's what I'm supposed to do. And nobody didn't actually get, got to know Jesus. And that, man, when we start mixing Christianity and politics, a lot of times things get really, really off very quickly. Um, you, you cannot legislate somebody's heart. You can make them say, I'm a Christian, but you can't make them know Jesus. Um, and, and so, but for 200 years, the Christians under various seasons of persecution, some emperors would come up who'd be a little more lenient, and then other emperors would come up who'd be a little more aggressive. But through these seasons, these ebbs and flows of persecution where tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of Christians were put to death through the ways that we already talked about, the, through being drawn and quartered. That's where your, your arm would be tied to a rope and this arm to a rope and both legs to a rope, and each of those ropes would be tied to a horse, and they'd whip the horses, and the horse would run in four different directions, and all four of your limbs would be torn out of your body. And I could go through some other just, I mean, the Romans, they knew how to be cruel. They, they, they knew how to inflict pain. They knew how to, how to do torture very well. Christians, just like you and me, died simply because they said, I know Jesus, and I love Jesus. And they submitted to that awful, hideous, nasty authority. And you know what happened? They changed the world because of it. Roman historians record that, that they got so much attention by the, by the people in, in Rome and through the other Roman cities. They were like, what is it about these people? Why will they go through this? Why will they do this? It drew them to Jesus. People, time and time again, hundreds of thousands of people came to Jesus because this group of people didn't stand up and fight. They didn't take up a sword. They didn't say, we're going to stand up for our rights. They said, you can take my life but you can't take my spirit. I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus. You're just going to get me there sooner. And because they were willing to lay their life down, just like Jesus did, by the way, because they were willing to do that, the whole European continent and a bunch of Asia got flipped upside down because of it. Because they were different. And so why is this important? Why does God want us to submit to authority? Because it's not natural and it's not normal. Because there's rebellion in everybody's heart. And when people see somebody who will do it differently, at first they're probably going to think you're weird, like the Romans thought about the Christians. But over time, as they see that's really your character and that's really who you are, and you're striving to honor this person, they're going to say, I want to know what it is about you. Because you've got a peace that doesn't make sense to me. You've got a joy that I can't calculate. It doesn't make sense how you can be so happy through the midst of all this. So why does God call us to submit to authority? Because people see Jesus when we do. It's the biggest reason. It's the most important reason. It's the greatest motivation and inspiration I can give you today. Next week, I want to look at why submission to authority is important, why it's a blessing in your life, why it really is a covering. Today, I just want to challenge you. Deal with the rebellion in your heart. Maybe you're here today and you're like 21-year-old Troy Sotton was. There's, there's some rebellion in you. There's some pushback against 
whatever that authority is in your life that you don't like. I'm going to pray in just a minute. And, and